Good morning. <laughs> um, wow, it's, it's good to be back. Um, it's good to be around people that love you, isn't it? Um, this is a safe space, um, and I'm just glad that you're here this morning. It's getting me. It's getting me. Um, so there's so much to say uh, today. Um, I'm going to try to keep it short. First of all, the building looks amazing. And I want to say thank you to everyone who's come up and give countless hours scraping the glue off the floor and building that bar, so many people. I also want to say thank you to all the people that have um, spoken in my absence when I've been on paternity leave. We welcomed our little Gemma into the world uh, April 21st. Yep. Mama, mama and baby are, are, are well, not sleeping much. Um, but so pray for us. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know a lot of the haircut places were closed uh, during the pandemic. And, and I was making dinner the other day, and my wife, in a very hasty and impulsive move, uh, decided to cut my boy's hair. And uh, let's see what we got here. There it is. So we're talking like German child from 1780, right? So, so now... When, when my wife tries to talk to him, I translate into German for him so that he'll understand. So hopefully you had a better go at self-isolation than we did. Um, you can turn that off because, yeah. If you're a guest, the only thing you're going to remember is, oh, that's that church with that guy with um, but thank you to all who have spoken in my absence. I just want to call out Scott, Brent Duckett, Josh Vibert, Larry Bowman, um, Liz Grawl. You did amazing um, thank you for, yeah, encouraging our people. And uh, I'm kind of going to piggyback a little bit from, from Liz's uh, sermon last week. And I'm going to ask you um, to remember some things today, okay? And those things that I'm going to ask you to remember, I want to challenge you to apply to the way in which you are engaging in current events today. Right? So the things I'm going to ask you to remember are very simple. And I want to just remind you that so much of the Bible is a call to remember. So much of the Bible is a call to remember. Man, Jewish culture is chalked full of seasons and feasts and objects, all whose purpose are to help them remember. You got Passover feast, telephon prayer box, little things they wear in the mezuzahs on the door, right? All these things that God, we have in place, or they have in place to help them remember things. The psalmist, y'all, over and over and over again are gonna call the people of God to remember. And say, so you've forgotten some things, right? 105, remember the wondrous works that he's done. Remember his miracles and the judgments he uttered. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you, O Lord. Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your works of old. The psalmist even shows us that it's because the people had forgotten some real simple things, right? God's action in the earth, delivering them from Egypt. The reason they were rebelling is because they had forgotten some things, Amazing things, miraculous things, like world-shattering, supernatural things that they all beheld with their own eyes. Not but years later, they're forgetting. And because they forget, the psalmist says they didn't remember his power when he redeemed them. 
right? Our fathers when they were in Egypt did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. So they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Today, I'm gonna ask you to remember some things, right? Things that maybe will help us, our hearts course correct out of this season that some of us maybe have been in, right? All like Mike mentioned, all the habits, right? That we've developed in self-isolation, some good, some not so good. I think today is such a fantastic opportunity we have to pause and reflect on how the events over the past several months have been forming us into a kind of person. Can I say to you that the way that you have responded to the events that have been going on over the past couple months, the way that you have responded to those those things are forming you into a kind of person. They are, y'all. And in a season of heightened anxiety and divisiveness, it seems important to consider how we've been thinking about things. And I feel like today is such a great moment for us to pause and reflect. Y'all, so much of what I do up here when we're able to gather, right, is to beg you to consider. So much of what I do is to beg you to pause, wait, and to contemplate and to reflect on your thinking. So much of what I do up here is say, think about your thinking. You know what that definition I just gave you? That's the definition for repentance. And so much of what I do, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, repentance, the word in the New Testament, metanoia, means to think about your thinking, to get outside of your thinking. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, repentance is something we are continually called to, to ex- not only to examine with our own intelligence, not only to examine with our own rational thought, but to invite the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and examine our thinking as well, right? To open our hearts to him and say, Lord, where are we thinking wrongly about the things going on, right? So I'm gonna ask you to remember a few things. And those few things, I want to help you or beg you to inform the way that you are processing all of the things that are happening in our world today, okay? Things that if you will sit with, maybe even believe the things that I'm gonna ask you to remember will fortify your ability to go through turmoilsome cultural moments, not unlike the one we're in, right? I'd argue If you will allow the things that I'm gonna ask you to remember to become foundational in your thinking, you'll become the kind of person described in Psalm 112, which says, they will never be shaken, who has no fear of bad news, whose heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord, and who lives out, Romans 12 said, like Liz talked about last week, who lives at peace in their hearts with all as far as it depends on them, right? So as you read the headlines, as you listen And as you form opinions, I want you to remember this. God loves you. He loves you. Like relentlessly. He has such strong affections for you. He loves you guys. His affections for you are unending why all the metaphors of what God could have called himself, he calls himself a father. It says in scripture, as a father has compassion on his children, so God feels compassion towards you. He loves you relentlessly, immovable, unshakable. The love of God stands above all other realities. 
unflinching in its steadfastness, unhindered by your doubts, by your sin, by your hatred, unhindered by your inability to comprehend the depth, the width, the height of his love. His love is unshakable, immovable. No matter what you have done, no matter how you have responded, God loves you. The love of God would inspire the Old Testament writers to say, even if the earth should crumble, his love will remain. And so many of us have probably had moments where it's felt like the earth's been crumbling under our feet over the past several months, right? Our illusion of control of our life, gone, right? Routines, gone. Normal, gone, right? And I want you to remember that the love of God, unshakable by the cultural moment that we are in, right? The experience of God love, God's love would so impact Paul, it would lead him to write that nothing in all of creation would ever lessen the reality of the strength of the love of God. Scripture seems to have no gap between the experience of the love of God and the action of loving others as well. God's love would so saturate the early church that we have records, y'all, of secular pagan rulers struck by how the Christians loved each other deeply with a peculiar kind of love, right? The relationship between loving God and loving others is so strong that John would write, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John actually says that our love for others is one of the only true indicators of the authenticity of your faith and of the transformation that we claim God has done in our hearts and lives. In 1 John 3, 14, he says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. So John is saying, We know that we have passed from death into life because why? Because of the affections we have for other people. He says it's one of the only true indicators of what it means to be a Christian. He says so much, he would say, whoever does not love abides in death. Now these, to me, seem to be extremely relevant scriptures in the season we're in. Unfortunately, I think it seems like The love of God has faded into the background for many Christians as they've dialogued about the current events today. And when that happens, y'all, when we forget the love of God as the primary motivator for what it means to be a Christian, we have lost our way as Christians. Okay, maybe you've not lost your way as a political thinker. Maybe you've not lost your way as a social commentator. But if you do not have an abiding sense of love towards those you are engaging with, you have lost your way as a Christian. Because guess what? The political party that you are unequivocally condemning, the person on Facebook that you are raging out of your mind on, God loves them too. His love for them is as fierce as it is for you. I hate to throw water on the fire right now, but God loves them too. 
And when we behave in ways that are absent of that love, we have lost our way as Christians. For some of us, the storm has become so dense, the fog so pervasive that we literally have lost our way when it comes to being people who represent the love of God to a dying and desperate, confused and broken world. If God's love has ceased to be a compelling factor in your life, you've lost your way especially in the way in which we are engaging with other people on social media. What has motivated us, y'all, over the past months? What's motivated you to post that post? What's motivated you to bring up that topic with that person you know who disagrees with you? Because Paul said, it's the love of God that compels us presses us on, right? So much of the banter that I've experienced has been motivated by I need to be seen as right. I need to be seen as smarter than you. I need to be seen as the person who sees through it all, right? The most perceptive person in the room, right? And I just want to say to you that if the love of God is not a viable motivating factor in your life, you've lost your way in some, in some capacity as a Christian, I'm begging you to remember something so simple that it risks gathering dust on the shelf and we overlook it. God loves you. And he loves the people that you're engaging with too. Christians believe that God's undeserved love is the only answer to the human condition. And that that undeserved love is the only thing that has any real transformative power. Can we chat for a second? Laws, politics, reforms, as good as they are, as needed as they are desperately needed, in the end, will fall short of the redemption that each of us really needs from our own depravity. Legislation cannot fix the human heart. Wouldn't it be nice? But it can't. Now, should, should we still strive for good and just? Absolutely we should. But as a Christian, we have to remember that what the problem is, what Christians throughout history have said the problem is, is way more pervasive, way more systematic, way more sinister than anyone has ever imagined, right? There is a problem out there, y'all, and it's entrenched in every institution, every power structure. It is systematic in every sphere. And what's more unnerving, no amount of isolation from society can save you from it. The problem the Bible is going to say is sin. And it's deeper and it's in the heart of each and every one of us. No amount of pulling back from a corrupt and disgusting society, however we may perceive it to be, will remedy the sin in our own hearts. That's why I love Christianity. It doesn't pull punches, man. It says there is a problem out there, and it's called sin, and it's the rebellion that each of us had. And, and Jesus is the only person in all of history who ever claimed to be able to deal with it authoritatively. So remember, God loves you. Just try to remember that today. Number two, remember that it is sin that is sabotaging our joy. And Jesus is the only one who claimed the wisdom and the strength to defeat sin. And if we are to be those who bear that message to the world, that has to have some level of priority in our thinking, doesn't it? Right? The third thing I want to ask you to remember in this current season we're in is there is an enemy. There is an enemy. 
It's amazing to me how quickly, stay with me, it's amazing how quickly those locked in conflict are willing to attribute a kind of masterminding, you know, of like unrelated events and accredit their opponent, right, uh, as then the puppet master behind anything that in any way is favorable towards, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like how we're, we're, we're continually looking for this kind of puppet master behind and accusing our opponents of being in charge and having, you know, pulling this string over here and pulling this string, you know, like everything, everything that's happening, you know, from all, from everything, you know, is worked out exactly as their Sith mind foresaw, you know, and we, we do. And look, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm not saying it's not real. It is, that stuff happens, you know? What, it exists. And I'm just saying, isn't it interesting how we're looking for this force behind the evil whom we can accredit the whole mess to? Yeah, and his name is the, the accuser. There is an enemy, but he's not a political party. And he's not that person on Facebook you're raging on. There is an enemy. And when we lose our dignity and our love for others by the way that we engage, we are playing into the enemy's hand. There is an enemy. It's not a political party or a president or the fellow that, you know, on social media who you're no longer friends with now, right? There is an enemy. When we begin to lose relationships over this stuff, I'd argue we're playing right into his hands. The scripture is going to say, blessed are the, is this a little too hitting home for anybody else? Is this okay? Okay. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what scripture is going to say. For they shall be called sons of God. I want to remind you of that today, Right? Our business as Christians is and will always be reconciliation. That's what we are to be about, right? But be that between God and man or be that between man and man. Let me have some scripture just to kind of back that up. Therefore, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone's a new creation, if anyone is Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ephesians 2.14. He himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 is talking about racial division between Gentile and Jews. Okay? Put in context. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, and might in 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross by killing the hostility. That's between man and man. And he, be, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who were near. I don't know how else to beg you to be a person about reconciliation in this cultural moment that we're in. Um, do your words, your posts, your thoughts lead you and others towards reconciliation? Or do the circles you run in your mind push you more towards anger and conflict and offense? God calls us to be a people of peace. And, I, and this is the other thing I want you to remember today about this. Um, categories are not helpful. Okay, this is, this is what I mean by that. When you after hearing two seconds of someone talking, immediately put them into a pre-established category in your head, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? No? 
Like, okay, good, Micah knows. Like, some of you may be trying to do that with me right now. Like, what is this guy politically, you know? Like, where is he at? I'm not quite, what's his angle, you know? I've got to fit you in a category, right? Categories help us create systems of thinking. They're great for that. Like, we, we like to group things together. But when it comes to people, real living people with past experiences unknown to us, with past struggles and feelings and wounds unknown to us, categories are not helpful. When we put them in a pre-selected, pre-established category, we then relieve any need that we have to listen to them anymore because we already got you figured out, already got you in a category, don't have to listen to you, dismiss. Categories are not helpful when you're talking with people about the things going on. Just quit lumping people into categories because they remind you of some other thing and then automatically, because all we're doing with that often, guys, is just having a reason why we no longer have to listen to them, right? They're no longer a person. They're just a liberal. They're just a Democrat. They're just a Republican. They're just a part of that group. And now I don't have to listen to you anymore, right? Oftentimes, y'all, categories have become the tools that we employ to not have to listen, right? And in some ways, we're dehumanizing the opposition when we do that. We're saying, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to seriously consider your perspective because you're in this pre-selected category that I've already condemned, right? When we stop our ears up and put people in categorical boxes, we immediately assume that we understand everything about them, have them totally figured out, have completely seen through them. I don't have to listen to you. Categories are how we stop asking questions. It's how we stop listening because I got you figured out, right? Man, my prayer that we would be the kind of people who are distinguished by the category of, man, that dude loves Jesus. Like, that's really the only category I really want to be, man, I don't know where he's at with this stuff, but bro loves Jesus. Won't stop talking about Jesus, 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 right? I mean, maybe that's asking too much, but man, wouldn't that be something else? If the category that people could only fit us in was, man, they just love the Lord, just love Jesus, Always talking about how's Jesus going, you know, right? So my promise to you, I don't know if you've been here a long time, you maybe already get this out. To the best of my ability, I will never get up here and argue for any sort of political thinking to sway you to my cultural perspective, right? That's my promise to you. And that's, honestly, it's hard to do in an unbiased way, right? My job is to preach the word, not do any of that stuff. What I will do is challenge you to stretch your thinking and your heart to be open to listen to a different perspective than the one you are entrenched in. I will continually do that. So if I'm doing it well, I will annoy both sides equally, right? That's what I need. I need someone who loves me enough, who will sit down and engage with me in a conversation, who will listen to my perspective, as flawed as it may be, and say, okay, I hear you. Let me ask you this, though. And who will stretch me to consider the other perspective that I have so easily condemned? I need that in my life. You know why? Because if I go unchecked, the condemnation and the hate and the rage can grow out of control. Because all I'm doing in my mind is justifying hate justifying condemnation, justifying why I'm right and everyone else is wrong, unchecked, 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 violence breaks out. It's how we go from a lovely, wonderful, Jesus-loving person, right, 
to now someone who is violent against their fellow man. Because you have gone for a long time, no one ever saying, but wait. Is it possible that you're misunderstanding this category? Is it possible that you've not stopped for two seconds to listen to their perspective in an honest and authentic way? I need that in my life. If you don't need that, I don't, I don't know. When it, when it comes to politics, I want to make both sides equally uncomfortable. And I'm always reminded of that angel that comes in the Old Testament. And he's like, hey, whose side do you want, ours or the enemy's? He's like, neither, son. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground, right? That's kind of the angle I want to go at. Neither. Jesus ain't on either of your sides. In fact, if all of y'all don't repent, it's over, right? And Jesus is going to talk about that. New Testament, I mean, all kind of stuff. We can go there, but we don't have time. All right, so as Christians, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you are called, like Liz so eloquently said last week, to live at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. All right, y'all, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everyone, Okay. We are to be people of deep conviction, confident in the things we believe, but there is a way to engage with people with love and compassion in our hearts in a way that pushes back darkness and glorifies the Lord. There's a way to engage with people that we may disagree with that invites them into a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing with love and godliness at its center. Then there's a way to do it that belittles and dehumanizes and shames because they don't think the way we think doesn't glorify the Lord. If you're throwing shame on social media and being belittling and condemning, stop doing the enemy's work for him. Sorry, that's not, I'm sure that's not y'all. Maybe that's the podcasters listening out there, right? (laughs) Condemnation and shame are his tools, y'all. There is an enemy and he's doing all sorts of puppet master junk. When we begin to engage with people in dehumanizing and belittling ways, we are playing into his hands. We are not living as Christians ought to live. He loves you relentlessly. And he loves the person you're so angry at right now too. Sin has made us broken, hurtful people towards others. There is an enemy and we can't see him, right? And categories aren't helping. During the pandemic, I was a big fan of social distancing, primarily from people's opinions. And so, so not that I uh, disagreed with them. A lot of the things that I was reading on social media, which by the way, I, I unplugged. I had to get off. I just delete, right? Um, not because I disagreed with them. A lot of the things they said I totally agreed with, right? But because the way in which they were voicing their opinions, that is to say, they were saying things in such a polarizing and accusatory and mean-spirited way to intentionally provoke. They were saying things, maybe things that I totally agreed with. They were saying things in a way that was really saying, you don't have the right to think differently than me, and if you do, you're an idiot. That was the subtext, right? You ever had a conversation with that subtext, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like everyone, everyone's all about diversity, right? Unless it's how you think about this object or this situation. Then no, we're not a big fan of diversity, anyone? Okay, anyway. Um, but we often feel threatened, right, in, in some kind of absurd way by differing opinions, don't we? Um, and here's the other thing I want you to remember as far as what it means to be a Christian in a time like this. The Lord calls the church a body for a reason. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, okay? Um, 
And when, when he calls the church a body, one of the things we're getting from that picture is there is room for differing priorities, for differing opinions and skills and giftings and approaches within the kingdom of God. When he says there's a body, there's an elbow and an eye and a leg, and the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you because you're not an eye. They look different. They approach things different. They have different priorities, and yet they're all part of one body. He's getting at the idea that in the kingdom of God, we should have a toleration for different priorities, different all sorts of different things, right? Different approaches, different ways of thinking. Guys, Revelation ends with every tribe, every tongue, every nation feasting. Now, think about it. Tribe, tongue, nation, people group. He's talking about such a wide, incredibly diverse approach to everything in life. All of the world, every nation, every tribe. I mean, you're talking about different tastes, different cuisines, different approaches to family structure, different approaches to authority, right? And all of them feasting at the table. There has to be a liberation to accept other people who think differently than you in the body of Christ, Okay. If we can get even just that, that type of liberty in our own hearts, think of all the relationships that we'd still have today. All the divisions within the church so often can come from an inability to be flexible in non-essentials. Color the carpets, purple, I'm out of here. You sing what kind of songs? I'm out of here. You know? There has to be, we have to have an ability to walk a road with someone who doesn't always agree with us. Y'all, in Acts 2, when it said they had all things in common, that didn't mean they agreed on every topic under the sun. I, I can't even get my own house, right? I mean, me and my wife disagree on all sorts of things, all right? So when we think about that, man, all, every tribe, every tongue, we have to start learning to see disagreement as not a threat, right? And rather as an opportunity to learn about another person for whom Christ has died, okay? And I know this is kind of a rant. I know it is. I've been pent up, so I've been pent up for months. Um, Y'all, social media, and this might not apply to many of you because maybe it's not, but it has turned us into something. And we rage out on social media, not unlike we rage out in our cars because we have this false sense of anonymity and protection. I was pouty the other day, right? Fussy, just out, <laughs> being a little baby. I was frustrated with everything going on. We're tired at my house, you know? And uh, I was saying horrible things in my mind to my wife. <gasps> Pastor. I chose not to say them. Instead, I aggressively cleaned the house, right? <laughs> the vacuum, right? Then the next day, uh, me and my wife are chatting and we're just having a great time. And I literally had this like, I can't even remember why I was so upset. And I'm telling you, things I was saying were horrible, horrible in my head, right? See, that, that's the thing with emotional outbursts of rage and frustration. When we give them full vent in the moment, whether that be on social media or in our car or whatever like that, when we give them full vents, we often can't imagine the relationship havoc that giving our anger and frustration full vent wreaks later on the next day. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
if we will wait and pause and not give full vent to that knee-jerk reaction, the next day we're like, man, what was that even about? Like, I, I could have just literally lampooned my marriage by saying the kind of horrible things that were going on in my head, right? But by pausing and saying, wait, 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 wait. The next day you're like, oh, I can't even remember what that was about. And so many of us are willing to sabotage our relationships just to air our own opinion. And we don't consider how damaging insisting on airing your own opinion in a moment of frustration can be in a relationship or on social media. Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, only in airing his own opinion. The other thing is I'm doing a big, I'm an idiot, and I'm doing this massive demo project, and I just can't sit still, right? So I'm like literally tearing walls out in my basement and just doing all this sawdust is everywhere, drywall everywhere, you know, when you, when you really, like, I, like this project wasn't enough, right? I don't want to do this in my house, too. Um, when you really get into the thick, I mean, Duck was over here saw, uh, sawdusting, um, sanding that table in there, that uh, amazing-looking coffee bar that the man basically built all by himself. He, we, we had already cleaned and already, like, you know, and he was um, sanding in there. And man, sawdust went everywhere. It got everywhere. I was like, oh gosh, duck, what are you doing? And, and in my house, right, I'm knocking out walls and doing this stuff. And when you really get into the thick of something like that, man, you just kick up all sorts of dust. And I was down there working and I, I, I mean, it was just clouds in my basement, right? Just disgusting. I got things over stuff. It's not helping at all it's underneath. It. I don't know how it gets underneath it. And I'm working and down there for a couple hours, and I'm like, man, why hadn't this dust settled? Like, I've been working down here for, I opened the windows, nothing. I mean, it's just like hazy up in here. And then I realized, oh, my, my glasses were covered <laughs> with, with sawdust, right? It had just settled on my glasses. I, could, I mean, I was literally couldn't see things. I was like, oh, shoot, you know. Y'all, when we rage out, when we give license to that violence that we feel in our hearts when someone disagrees with, we're just kicking up dust. You keep doing that, you keep doing that, keep doing that, all that junk's gonna settle. Guess where it's gonna settle? In your eyeball. You will then be unable to push back the darkness because you have raged out so much, kicked up so much dust, that you can't see clearly to do so. All I'm asking you to do today is to pause, is to wait to not speak so quickly, to hesitate. And like the scripture says, wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Not to rage in like a bull in a china shop, airing your opinion out to anyone who probably doesn't want to hear it already. Right? As a Christian, we need to model the way that we engage with others like the Lord himself, who is slow to anger and quick to love, y'all. James 1.19 says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think some people, many Christians today need to take a step back, breathe, wipe the junk off your glasses. I don't know, pray maybe, I don't know. 
and ask for a little clarity with which to engage the social moment that we find ourselves in. What is God's opinion of the person that you are enraged at right now? If you are unwilling to ask that question and hear the Lord's answer, I would argue that the enemy has a foothold in your heart and in your thinking. Because guess what the Lord's answer is? Love him, died for him, forgiven him, grace, want him to thrive, want him to flourish, got good things planned for him, just like you. And if we don't have ears to hear that, the enemy has a foothold in our thinking. Oswald Chambers says, you have not begun to think as a Christian until you can imagine your worst enemy presented perfect in Christ. That needs to be the foundation with which we engage people. The challenge that I just want to level against you, and us all today, is this. And I love it because it lands on everyone, no matter what your political party. Before I give you that, this is my hope right now, is that this becomes for us, this place, this fantastically new building, right, becomes for us an oasis. So many people are like this right now. (laughs) Maybe you're not like this, maybe you're like this, still clenched. My hope is that when we walk in these doors, we can begin to open our hands and not be in such a defensive mode. I mean, we, we just prayed in that room this morning that this would be a place that people feel safe and able to be heard and express what's going on in their hearts without the fear of judgment or condemnation. So my challenge is that you would, as you are listening, you would not have a dismissive attitude towards those you disagree with. That's my challenge. Quit dismissing people because you've categorized them in a category that you don't think merits listening to. Can we just sit with that this week? to try to not dismiss people that we disagree with, but maybe, maybe have an ear to listen and understand that the person that we're engaging with has past wounds, past experiences that we have no comprehension of. And to talk to people instead of to categories. I mean, if we could just do that, we'd be on our way. Talk to people, not categories. This is my last thought with us before we come to the communion table, which is going to be a trick today. I can't wait to tell you about these things. When Jesus warned against hypocrisy, he used a maritime word. Um, where is it? Proseca, something like that. Proseco. He used a maritime word that they would say to each other, they would call out from the land when someone was docking a boat. It literally means watch yourself. When Jesus warned against hypocrisy, he used the word they used to dock boats. Watch yourself. You ever tried to dock a boat? I I tried one time, I tried to dock my friend's very nice wakeboard boat. I'm not gonna give you the whole story, but let's just say he never asked me to drive his boat again, okay? Didn't go well. The thing about docking a boat is you cut off the engine and you're still drifting. You've quit the propulsion and yet you're still moving. And Jesus is saying hypocrisy is like that. You can cut off the engine. You can stop moving in that direction, and yet you are still drifting in a direction sometimes unknown to yourself. And so Jesus says, watch yourself. 
You may be, by the subtle actions, by the way you've responded, you may be drifting to what he would call a hypocrite, someone who's acting, pretending when it comes to the love of God, the worship of God. And he says, watch yourself, guys. You're drifting. And I feel like there's no better thing for us to sit with today as we consider the ways in which we may have been responding to the current events. I think we should have ears to hear Jesus saying, watch yourself. Watch the anger that you are entertaining. Watch the thoughts that you are giving free reign in your mind. Listen to them. They may be more violent than we're willing to admit sometimes. Let's stand and pray. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, thank you that we've been able to come and sing and gather, and we just rejoice um, in your presence that's with us, Father. And Father, I just ask that you would leave a mark on our hearts and minds today, um, Lord, that we would open ourselves to your love um, and... Um, to reciprocating that love um, to you and to those around us. Jesus, make us people of peace, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would um, clear our vision um, so that we could be people of reconciliation and peace in a time of divisiveness and heightened anxiety. God, grace us, Jesus. We need desperately the power of the Holy Spirit um, to walk such a line. Jesus, let me pray these things. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. Hopefully next week we'll be able to live stream in case you have friends that aren't quite comfortable coming. Today was a total fail. We weren't able to do it. But anyway, see you next time.